It is 23 minutes until the top of the hour. The Christian Worldview radio program aims to strengthen the biblical worldview of Christians and to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Its host is David Wheaton. You take the words character and excellence, put them together, and you have David. Good morning, David. Hey, good morning, Bill. How are you today? I'm well, thank you. I love what Paul said about all Scripture is inspired by God. What does that mean? What does inspiration mean? Well, l- let me just read the verse because I, th- I think it gives some context as to what it means. There's a couple passages in Scripture that talk about this. That's from 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you back up just a couple verses from where you just read all Scripture, that's the, the verse that's so well known. But he, you know, Paul is writing to Timothy here. He says, you, however, to Timothy— Continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. And then then there's the verse, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. This is a the most powerful attestation in Scripture that that Scripture is, in fact, coming from God. One more passage before we just get into inspiration is 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21, where Peter writes, Know this first of all, like this is important here, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy or no Scripture was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. And so I think if you take those two passages together, you begin to understand what inspiration is. It literally means that God breathed or he moved these men, these 40 authors of Scripture, to write the Scripture they did. You know, moved is a nautical term. It's like wind moving a ship. And so inspiration doesn't mean that God necessarily dictated, like there was an audible voice from heaven. So maybe in some cases there was, but generally speaking, it wasn't a God dictation but rather a God direction where the Holy Spirit came upon these these men who wrote Scripture to write what God had intended without error. And so he didn't—God didn't change their personalities or their writing styles. He just supernaturally, divinely uh, directed what they, their thoughts so that what they would write would be perfectly as God intended and without error. That's what inspiration of Scripture means. And by the way, this is a critically uh, important doctrine— if you don't have the inspiration of Scripture, if that's not true, that the that the the Bible or Scripture is the words of God and not merely the words of men, this is the foundation upon which everything else in Scripture is based. I mean, if you don't have inspiration of God, you don't have inerrancy, that the Bible is without error, you don't have uh, historicity, accurate events, you don't have truthfulness, uh, you don't know exactly who God is, who Christ is, all that's in doubt if you don't have the inspiration of Scripture. It's like not having Christ being born of a virgin. Then you don't have a sinless Savior. Mm-hmm. David, when when were the New Testament books written? Don't we have a lot of criticism from uh, skeptics or people who might be antagonistic that would say, boy, there really are—there's no original manuscripts. There just seems to be— Copies of copies. So, yeah. how do you how do you answer that response? Yeah, that that, that's that's an important question too. Because as believers, we 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 want we're called to have faith, but we don't want to have blind faith. 
And, and the Bible has so much evidence for what it claims to be the Word of God. Of course, what Christ said in John 17, he said to pray to his Father, sanctify them in the truth, your Word is truth. That's a very, very strong assertion of what the Word of God is. But as far as the books of the New Testament, they were all written basically from about the late 40s AD to about 90 AD. All 27 books were written during that particular time. Now, there are no original manuscripts, like the original, let's say, Book of Romans that Paul wrote. We don't have that, but we have copies of the New Testament very, very early on in the first half of the second century. So these are within the times of like potential eyewitnesses to the things that actually took place very close to the time of writing. And by the way, there are tons and tons of copies. And to answer that question, that's a good thing that there's tons and tons of copies. If there's only, you know, one or two copies somewhere hidden away in some vault, there's much more of a possibility for tampering with those manuscripts. But the fact is, there are there the Bible has thousands and thousands of fragments and copies, way more than any other, I mean, far more, I mean, many-fold more than any other book of antiquity that we quote all the time, Homer's Iliad, those kinds of books. The Bible has so many copies that the whole New Testament can be pieced together. As a matter of fact, I heard someone say, we don't just have 100% of the New Testament pieced together. We have 105%, which means that when you go to Mark 16 and the, the last part of Mark 16, which is sort of a disputed passage or the beginning of John 8, whether that was in the original manuscripts, we have actually more than uh, was originally written. But those are always annotated in your Bible as saying, these particular passages aren't in the, the original and best manuscripts. Mm -hmm. So when the New Testament was written, the advantage was there were eyewitnesses that were still alive, um, which, of course, adds to the credibility of it. I mean, if if someone wants to write a, um, a, a the history of New York City 25 years from now, uh, mm -hmm. and they, they, they omit the 9-11 attack, there's going to be people go, how can you write that and omit that? That's a key component of the history of New York. They, it would get invalidated so quickly. That's exactly right. And that's why we can have such strong confidence in Scripture as truthful, because you had those the earliest copies of Scripture are so close to the time that these events happened. You couldn't get away like what you just said. You couldn't get away with fabricating or misrepresenting events that actually happened. And by the way, this is one of the, the big things about how we know what is Scripture and what is not, because the number one requirement for something to be inspired—in other words, God inspired Scripture. He didn't inspire men. So the Apostle Paul, everything he said in life wasn't inspired. It's what he wrote when God was inspiring him uh, to write Scripture, if that, if that makes sense. So God knew originally what was to be inspired, what was to be in, to Scripture— and it was up to men to discover that. It wasn't that men didn't decide on what was discovered. It wasn't some council of Nicaea or anything like that. The books of Scripture had to be written by either an Old Testament prophet or the like, or for the New Testament, they had to be written by an apostle of Christ or one that was so closely associated that it was verified by an apostle. Now, an apostle was one who had witnessed Christ's resurrection or someone who was closely, again, associated with an apostle. So anyone else that didn't uh, like witness those events, as you were talking about, Bill, then it wasn't considered Scripture, because over time, lots of people have tried to insert other books into Scripture, the Gospel of Thomas, the, Gos the Apocrypha, mm -hmm. these types of things, but they didn't have that first and primary 
requirement was the book had to be written by an apostle or a very one who was very close to an apostle. Mm-hmm. David, let me take a break. When I come back, I want to ask you about the, the modern English translations of the Bible. How come we don't uh, start teaching our kids Greek like when they're five? Um, mm-hmm. I want to ask you about the, the translations that are most accurate. And usually when you go back to the, the original Greek or Hebrew, you, you get such richness from the word and what it means. And I'm just curious as to why Christians don't devour that. Take a short break. I'm talking to David Wheaton. It's 14 minutes until the top of the hour. If you have to be at work at the top of the hour, you have 12 minutes, so get it moving. All right, I'm talking to David Wheaton uh, from the Christian Worldview. And David, uh, if if I'm going to go buy a Bible and I'm just getting interested in studying the Bible, is there a particular uh, English translation I should look for? Yeah, this is a this is a good question as well, Bill. There are lots of translations, and by the way, the the translations, the English tra- translations aren't to be considered the original manuscripts. Of course, they're translations from the Hebrew and Greek. But that being said, there are some that are, you can be, again, very, very 100% confident that these are accurate representations of what these, these authors of Scripture wrote. You know, let's give you a couple of, of, the, of the versions that I've found that are very good. I, I would say maybe the two best. Now, this is my opinion. You're going to mm-hmm. have different people have different opinions on this. I think one of the most accurate word-for-word translations is the New American Standard Bible. Okay. That's the one I read. Okay. Uh, the other one I think that is very good is the English Standard Version. Those two I think I'll put at the top of the list. But other versions like the New King James Version, the King James Version, some of the versions of NIV, I'm not as familiar with that Bible, but I know a lot of people read it. I think there's some good, um, you know, it's coming different. They sometimes release new NIV versions. But I think the NIV can be a, a, a good version of Scripture. Um, you know, I think most of them are, are actually pretty good, but it's good to read more than one just to make sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you might want to have a, a very word-for-word translation like the New American Standard or the ESV. And if you want to read one that more gets the sense of a passage, there's more. There's, there's versions like that, too, that don't create a little more in modern kind of used language so people can more read it like a story. Then you should, if you, that's fine to read one of those, but make sure you're reading like one that's, you know, more, um, you know, academically accurate to the original languages like the New, New American Standard ESV. That's how I guess I'd answer that. But, uh, you know, I think the important thing is to read it. And that, that's, I think, a big problem today is that we, we can talk about the inspiration of Scripture and we can talk about, you know, how it was transmitted and the canon of Scripture. And we can be very confident in what we read today or the inspired books of the Bible but if we don't pick it up and read it, if we're biblically illiterate because we just get distracted by other things going on or we think it's too hard or or whatever, you know, we're missing out on really to hear from God. And that's really the amazing thing here is that God didn't just create the world, Bill, and sort of go silent after that. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's general revelation we see all around us that there's evidences for God. How did this, how did we get here, this amazing universe? And that's general revelation. We can see that there had to be some sort of higher power or being that created all this. I mean, what what is this? Well, he didn't d- didn't just give us general revelation. He went way further than that and gave us special revelation, which is scripture. Literally, he gave us a book written down in black and white on, on black on paper, uh, so that we would know who he is, 
what his character is, what his will is for us, how we can be right with him through Christ. I mean, this is incredible. I mean, I can't even, I couldn't overstate how important that is, that God actually left us a book to know who he is. Yeah, we, we would be the envy of first century, uh, first century Christians. Right. We have the revealed word of God in our hands. How awesome is that? It's amazing. We have five of them in our homes, you know, and back then, a lot of these letters of Scripture, they weren't compiled in the book we have sitting on our desk at home. They were, you know, letters, and they were being circulated and so forth, and so we really do. That's why you see, I don't have the verse on the top of my head, we in our age have the benefit of having all of Scripture put together in a book where they didn't back then, and so we really do have a great advantage in some ways, even over those who were closer to the time when Christ lived. Yeah. Now, David, we can sit here today and easily say that to become biblically literate, it's going to take some work. Now, before Mm -hmm. we start this conversation, let me ask you, in your tennis career, what shot did you find particularly difficult? And after a lot, a lot of hard work, you enjoyed maybe hitting that shot as much as any shot in your game because you got good at it. Well, I I would say the serve is is the most important uh, shot in tennis. And if you, you know, when you learn the technique of hitting a serve and then do that over and over and over again, do it the right way over and over again, you know, you, you, you improve your, mm-hmm. your serve. Yeah. And it's really the, the same with scripture. You know, I think that, uh, you know, the, the question is, well, you know, I, I'm a Christian, but I don't seem to have a great desire to read scripture. How do I grow in that? Well, I, I think the reason for that is, is because many people just don't pick it up and read it. You have to start somewhere, read maybe the Gospel of John, or you know, read through the New Testament in a year, or read through the entire Bible in a year. It's really not that hard to read through the entire Bible. If you just devote about, I think, about 20 minutes a day, you can read through Scripture an entire year. But I would say, pray about it. Ask God to give you a greater desire for Him and His Word. You know, remind yourself what this book is, as we've talked about today in the program. This is not just the words of men. This isn't just a historical mm-hmm. book. This is the, what it claims to be is the inspired Word of God, a supernatural book that can tell you who God is, who you are, and how to become right with God, how to follow Him. Um, you know, read it to know God better, by the way. Now, don't just read it to, get, to gain intellectual, you know, intellectual understanding of or knowledge of, of you know, Christianity, so to speak. You know, the Bible is a very personal book. It tells us about God and His Son, His Spirit. You read the Bible to draw nearer and closer to them. It's a, to him, it's a relational book. And then when you begin to share it, you begin to get, I think, enthusiastic about the supernatural impact the book can have on one's life. Because always from the very beginning, Bill, there has been a persistent attack by Satan himself from the very first chapters of Genesis. What did he say to Eve in Genesis chapter three? Indeed, has God said, right? Mm -hmm. He questioned what God had told Adam and Eve, and that's exactly what is going on. You you look at the debates going on, the cultural battles in our society, really that summarizes it. Indeed has God said. Indeed has God said that one man should be married to one woman. I mean, indeed has God said, you you put in the issue after that, because God speaks to all these issues, but our culture today, the unbelieving culture today say, no, indeed God, even if God has said that, the words of man are to be are to be prioritized or elevated above the words of God. Mm-hmm. David, this might not be a fair question just because I'm giving you 60 seconds to respond. <laughs> but of course, the main message of the Bible is all about Jesus. Uh, how is Jesus revealed in the Old Testament? Well, he's revealed right away in in Genesis, way back when when Adam and Eve sinned. What what was the first thing that 
that God did. He made them uh, coverings of animal skins. Right there, we see that sin brings forth death, and we need to be covered or atoned for. Whenever we sin, we have to die, but God provided a substitute right there, an animal, to cover their shame, their nakedness. That is the first point right to what Christ came to do, to die, to atone for our sin. Also, right there in Genesis, he talks about uh, the Satan bruising your head and bruising his heel. That's a reference right to Christ, you know, thousands of years later, right in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. David, now I know the transi- translation you like is the New American Standard Bible. What translation does your mom like? Yeah, interesting. She That's a good question. She actually <laughs> reads the, the King James. She likes the thundering diction. You know, she's 86 <laughs> years old. She loves that old English uh, translation of Scripture. Oh, that's fantastic. David, always a pleasure. Thanks for being on the show. I'll talk to you next week or in a couple of weeks. Sounds good, Bill. Thank you. You bet. It's four minutes till the top of the hour. We'll take a very short break and then wrap up the show.